Man, I was thinking in the back just as I was listening to you guys worship that it's such a privilege to get to stand here and preach Jesus to you guys week in and week out. And I love seeing your smiling faces in here every single week. And it's such a blessing. It's such an honor to be able to stand up here and do what I do. And I don't take it for granted. I don't take the privilege. I don't take the opportunity lightly. And I want you guys to know that Jesus loves you. I mean, it's just that simple. Like, he has a hope. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a destiny. He has a calling for your life far beyond anything that you could ever plan out for yourself. And if you don't know the hope that is in Jesus tonight, if you don't know that son of suffering who gave his life on the cross, who took the nails and the crown of thorns and the spear in his side for you, don't leave here tonight without knowing the hope and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. For you saints in the room, is Jesus worth it? Uh, yeah, that's convincing. Is Jesus worth it? Yeah. Is he not? Like, I mean, we get to do this week in and week out. Like, I, I, know, I know things get hard. I know we're at the end of the semester. I know everybody coming here just dragging a little bit. Oh, if I can just get to the finish line. I get it, 100%. But man, we get to worship Jesus. We get to open the word together. We get to hear from him tonight. Let's, let's, I, I'm dragging too, but I'm trying to, you know, sometimes you just got to give yourself a mental hype up a little bit. So I hope you guys are ready to receive the word tonight. The series is Children of the Day, and this week's episode is going to take us to Luke chapter 8. So if you've got your copy of God's word and you want to make your way there, that's where we're going to land at here in a few moments. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 has shown us that those of us who are in Christ are all children of light, children of the day. And it's a pretty big deal for us to be light bearers in the midst of such Darkness. That song that many of us learned as kids and grew up singing, this little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It really carries a significant message. And hopefully we've been learning and understanding that significance more and more over the past couple of weeks together. And the learning continues tonight. Luke chapter 8. Verse 16, God's word says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Turn to somebody beside you and give them our title for tonight. Tell them, Location, Location, Location. Location matters. When me and Ashley were engaged leading up to the marriage, you know, you do all the wedding shower stuff and you go through the formality of it all. And for us guys, it's kind of just like, yeah, let's get it out of the way. We'll do the formality of it. We'll, we'll handle the obligation of it because we have to be there. We get that and it's all nice and great and fun and fluff and all that. But me and Ashley, we're engaged. We're getting ready to be married and we're doing all the shower stuff. And it's really kind of cool because people really are a blessing during that time in your life. And see, when you get married and you step out into your own life, what you don't realize is how much you just don't have. All that stuff that's at your parents' house, that was your parents' stuff. You don't get to take all that stuff with you. And so you don't realize just how much you don't have until you move out and realize you don't have it. And so the showers are really a blessing because all of these people give you all kinds of things to help you get your life started. And one thing in particular that I remember us getting several of were lamps. 
And at the time, I thought, uh, lamps, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't really see a lamp as being a need or a necessity as we got started out with our lives. But when it was all said and done, we moved into our house. I was glad that people gave us some because lamps are super functional. And they just add to the aesthetic of your home, right? How many homes have you walked into that were lampless? I'm just saying. There's lamps. And so they're super functional. They spruce up the room. And when we moved in, something that I thought really wasn't that great of a gift, I was glad we ended up having because otherwise we would have been lampless. Nobody just wants to sit in the house with the big ceiling fan lights on all the time. It'd be like standing on this stage in your house nonstop. You're just like. And so I was glad people gave us some lamps. And the thing about lamps is, too, you know, you can strategically position them so that the light that they give off can have a max effect on the room that they're in. You get to decide where the lamp goes, where it will be most beneficial. And so we've been learning that God's Word tells us that as believers, we ought to be what? We ought to be light in the world. In other words, we ought to let the light of Christ shine through us. Now, hear me say this because I want to make sure that we understand something very, very clearly. We are not the light. We are merely lamps. And so it's important that we understand this because those of us before coming to Christ, you're, you're like a lamp without a light bulb. There's no light there. And we can turn it on all we want to, but there's no light that's going to be produced. But the difference is, when Christ comes into our lives, we surrender our lives to Jesus, his light now enters in to our lives, and it begins to produce the light in and through us. It's not that we carry any light of our own. It's that Christ has placed the glory of his light within us. Now we can be light bearers in a dark world. Like this lamp, we've had the light of glory placed within us, and now we can shine for the name and the fame and the glory of Jesus. But what I think the Lord specifically wants to call our attention to tonight is how are we putting this light on display? I told you earlier that the cool thing about lamps is that they can be strategically positioned. We can choose the location in which we want them to sit in so that the light that they give off can be most beneficial to its surroundings. So let me ask you, what kind of location are we placing the light that has been placed within us in? This lamp, this body, in other words, it moves around a lot. It sees all kinds of different places throughout the course of a single day. What's it doing with the light that's in it? That's the consideration. The location of our light, where we sit it, it matters. How we choose to display the light that has been placed within us, it matters. And that's what Jesus is teaching in this particular instance as he's molding and shaping his disciples to be the instruments that he's going to leave remaining on the earth to share the good news of the gospel with those around them. He's telling these guys that location, location, location matters. Pay attention, in other words, to your light's position. 
And so a few things in particular that Jesus highlights shows us some of the locations that our light can end up in. And the first thing he points out to is the fact that nobody lights a lamp and then covers it with a jar. So I want you to consider a few questions tonight, the first of which is this, is your light covered by the jar? As Jesus is teaching his disciples, and we'll reiterate it again, he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar. So as Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, he says, guys, it, it's foolish, it's counterproductive to place a light within a lamp and then completely cover the lamp with a jar. That would defeat the entire purpose for which we lit the lamp to begin with. And you would probably agree with Jesus' sentiments. You would probably think that logic makes pretty much common sense. You would probably agree, yeah, that would be dumb. It would be dumb to light a lamp and then cover it with something so as to hinder or impede the light that it was giving out. Who would do that? It makes no logical sense. That's why I'm going to invite Peter into this narrative tonight because I believe Peter can help us illustrate a point. We know that Peter was a disciple. We know that Peter believed in Jesus. We know that he left everything to faithfully follow him while he was on the earth. I mean, this is the guy that even made the confession that Jesus was the very son of God. In Matthew chapter, thir or chapter 16, Peter says when Jesus asked a question, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter, I think it'd be safe to say, without a doubt, he had the light of Jesus placed within his life and shining within him. But Peter was guilty of covering that light in one instance. And to see this, we've got to go over to Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to start reading in verse 54. You don't have to turn there if you don't want it. It'll be on the screens. It says that they seized him. So Jesus is being arrested at this point. He's going to be led off to his crucifixion. And so they seized him and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. So at this particular point, Jesus has been arrested. They're leading him away to face trial and ultimately death. And Peter's just kind of hanging back, following the mob as they're leading Jesus away. He's not getting too close, but he's not letting them get too far ahead either because he's curious to see what's going to become of Jesus. So he's kind of just tagging along, inconspicuous in disguise, not causing too much attention to himself. And they light a fire. And Peter sits down close enough to the fire, apparently. It might have been chilly that night, but the light exposes him. It seems like we've been taught that before. Light exposes. The light exposes Peter, and one of the girls that are sitting there says, after she stared at him for a long time, she's like, I know this cat from somewhere. He looks familiar. 
And then finally, she just comes out and says it. She's like, I know. You're one of those guys. You're one of those disciples that, that used to follow Jesus. And he says, woman, word of advice to you future husbands in the room. Mm -mm. <laughs> the response is never woman. It's ma'am. <laughs> he says, woman, I don't know who this guy is. Just putting that out there. So they go a little bit further, and another guy recognizes Peter. He, he, he's drawn to the attention. Now, this girl's pointed him out. He starts taking in. He's like, no, 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 you're one of him. You're one of the dudes that was with Jesus. And he's like, man, dude, bro, I don't know this guy. So let's, let's leave it alone. And then the Bible says like an hour or so later, yet somebody else says, no, you were definitely one of the guys that were with him. And, and one of the gospels, one of the gospel writers even even describes it as this, that Peter began to invoke curses, saying, I don't know who he is. So three times, Peter is pointed out that he's one of Jesus' followers, and three times, he adamantly denies that that's the case. In the midst of what was taking place there, Peter says to the life that's within him, I gotta cover this up people are starting to get skeptical. People are seeing something shine within me, so i got to cover this thing up a little bit. i got to find a way to get myself out of here. In essence, he's trying to completely cover the light of Jesus in his life. Instead of testifying to Jesus, he's denying all association with Jesus. Out of his fear over what these people might would think or do, Peter tries to extinguish the light. Hey, listen, the jar has a twofold danger to the flame. Not only does it cover the light, but it also chokes the light. If you were to take a, a, a flame and place a jar over the top of it, you would, in essence, begin to shut off the oxygen supply. And if fire doesn't have oxygen just like us, suffocates. So not only was Peter covering the light, he's in danger of extinguishing the flame if he leaves it covered for too long. So my question is, as crazy as it sounds for Peter to have done all these things, as crazy as it sounds for Peter to have acted this way amongst these people, as crazy as it sounds for Peter to have not stepped up in a moment where he had an opportunity to be bold and courageous and to take a stand for the name of Jesus, are we not guilty of doing the same thing at times? How many times have we found ourselves in a situation that provided an opportunity for us to testify to Jesus, but instead out of fear or inadequacy, or embarrassment, or shame, or out of just plain disobedience, we cover the light. I might lose friends if I take this stand. I might get laughed at if they know that I identify with this Jesus. I might face persecution. I might face ridicule. What happens if, given the opportunity, I say the wrong thing and I let that person down and I let Jesus down? What happens if somebody asks me a question that I don't know an answer to? I think the better thing to do would be for me to just cover this for a minute. 
Listen to me. A lamp that's filled with light but is placed in a covered location has no impact whatsoever on the darkness around it. What good does it do to take the light that Christ has placed within us and then try to cover it up in complete darkness, rendering it essentially non-impactful to the people that Christ has placed us around? Are you taking the light of Christ within you, covering it with the jar? There's a second possibility that Jesus points out in the text. He says, no one is going to sensibly take the light and cover it with a jar. He says, but also, nobody's going to take it and put it under the bed either. So the second question is, is your light being smothered by the bed? No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bed. So Jesus goes on to add that it would be doubly foolish to light that lamp and place it under the bed. Either when you do this, when you place the lamp underneath the bed, you don't completely cover the light, but you do greatly suppress the brightness and the impact of it. So let's bring back Peter once again. And I just want to reiterate the fact that Peter had the light. Peter loved Jesus. So listen, just because at the end of all this, you may say, well, that's been me. I've been covering my light up. Or that's been me. I've been, I've been trying to hide the light underneath the bed. That does not mean you are any less a follower of Jesus. It just means maybe we need to come to the realization that we're not letting our light shine like we should. So we're picking on Peter a little bit tonight. Bring him back into the narrative once again because there's a separate instance that takes place where we find Peter not essentially trying to cover the light in its entirety, but I think he's more here trying to put it under the bed. He's okay with it shining, with some light getting out, but he doesn't want it shining completely in its brightness and its intensity. And we find this situation happen in Galatians chapter 2. And so What's taking place here in context is Peter's acting, acting one way around the Gentiles. So Gentiles are just non-Jewish people. So if you're here tonight and you're not a Jew, guess what? You're a Gentile. Now the gospel came first to the Jewish people, God's chosen people. And from there went to the Gentiles. So Thankfully, Jesus, out of his love and his grace and his mercy, says that my gospel and my good news and my salvation and my restoration is going to go to all people. And so the gospel goes out to the Gentiles, and God's using Peter and the disciples as the main vessels in which to initiate that. And so Peter's hanging out with some Gentiles, and he's acting one way around the Gentiles. And then a group of Jewish people walk in, and he begins to act a little bit different. Peter gets a little bit two-faced. So look at what happens in Galatians chapter 2. Paul's going to call him out on it. It says, When Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision or the Jewish party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
sometimes our goal isn't necessarily to cover our light as much as it is to suppress it. Peter was apparently fine hanging out with the Gentiles when it was just them around. Peter was fine with telling them all about and teaching them all about the freedom in Christ and the good news of Christ, hanging out in fellowship, having a good time with these people. But when influential Jewish people showed up, he acted as if he didn't know these Gentiles. These people would walk in the room, and if Peter's been hanging out over here having a good time, the moment that this section walked into the room, Peter would jump up and be like, I don't know who the people over there are. No idea. Like, Peter, whoa, were you just, just hanging out with them people? Nope. Wasn't me. Definitely wasn't me. And Peter, at this point, has already had some experience in denying his association with people when being called out. No, wasn't me. Don't know who that guy was. Some guy that looked like me, I guess, but it definitely wasn't me. I wouldn't hang out with those kind of people. And so Paul calls him out on it. He says that he was separating himself from these people. In other words, Peter was taking his light, and instead of letting it sit on the stand for all to see, he's placing it under the bed. Now you're going to have to work with me a little bit, all right? I know we don't have a bed. So don't come to me after about, Trey, that was a good illustration, man, but yeah, that wasn't a bed, you know. I know. We're going to work with him. There. Now it's a bed. Peter's putting his light underneath the bed. It's not completely gone. Anytime you put a light underneath the bed, what are you going to say? You're going to have like an underglow. There's going to be light that gets out. It's not completely covered. But how, how, how significantly dampened is the impact? It, it loses its point. It, it loses its, its intensity. Peter was allowing the crowd he was around to control the light he carried. It's not that his light wasn't shining. It's just that its location would change based on the crowd that he was around. Once again, let's self-assess a little bit. Are we guilty of this ourselves? If we were dead level honest, I think sometimes we allow the crowds we're in to control the light we carry. We have no problem letting it shine when we're in church. We have no problem letting it shine when we go to events or a conference or something like that. Like, ain't no big deal when I'm surrounded by people that all love Jesus. I have no problem letting my light shine when I come into this place. It's hands in the air, worshiping, praying. It's knees on the altar. It's me with my Bible open. It's me sharing a word of testimony to a brother or sister in Christ. I have no problem letting my light shine when it's a comfortable environment, when I'm around people that, that love Christ just like I do, but then do we, like Peter, separate ourselves from Jesus when we go to work? What happens to our light when I'm there? What happens to my light when I'm at home or in my dorm room, my apartment with my roommates on campus, in the locker room, in the car full of friends, when we get in those kind of places, when we're around a crowd of people who don't love Jesus the way in which we do, do we, like Peter, begin to separate ourselves from him when the crowd changes do we suppress our light? It may be shining. You might not be doing the things that the people around you are doing. You might not be participating in the activities. You might not be singing the same songs. But at the same time, you're not letting your light shine out front like it should be. We suppress it just because the crowd changed. It might be shining, but it's not nearly as bright 
It is only having a minimal impact on the darkness around it. You know, even beyond that, here's, here's I think, the more disturbing part of all this is that as the text goes on, Paul says one of the reasons why I opposed him because of how he was acting is because it was negatively affecting other believers as well. So here's the danger of this is that when we suppress our light, you now become a danger to other people's light around you. Paul says, I had to bring this to his attention because he was acting hypocritically, and so were the other Jews that were with him. As a matter of fact, he says, even Barnabas was being drugged down by Peter's action. And so when Barnabas and the rest of these other people that were associating with the Gentiles that were doing what God had called them to do, when they saw Peter draw back, when they saw him shrink back, instead of being bold, instead of being courageous, instead of letting his light shine, instead of not being two-faced, instead of not going with the crowd, instead of not suppressing his light, when one crowd walked in and when the other crowd walked out, it began to negatively impact the other believers that were around him. Listen, your actions affect actions. And once these other believers saw that, they began to follow along with him. Boldness inspires boldness. But conversely, on the other side of that, cowardice inspires cowardice. You know how it is. When you get around other believers that take a bold stand for Christ, what does it do for you? It inspires you to do the same thing. To stand up and be bold in your faith. But if you get around people, there's a group of you and somebody has an opportunity to stand out in front of Jesus, but they pull back, what are we more likely to do with them? We draw back as well. We pull back as well. We suppress our light as well. But listen, a lamp filled with light placed in a location under something only has a minimal impact on the darkness around it. It's still there. But you're not impacting the people around you nearly as much or as effectively as you could for the glory of God. As Jesus goes on, he gives us the third location. And, and this one, he says, is the right one. So no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your last question for consideration. The light that you carry, is it displayed on the stand? Is it being covered with a jar? Is it being smothered by the bed? Or is it being displayed on the stand. Jesus says that the logical thing to do is to light the lamp and then place it on the stand unhindered. In other words, the whole point of us lighting this, the whole point of us having this lamp, the whole point of us having the lamps in our house is to put them in a location, on a table, in a chair, wherever, where they give off the most effective light. We'll cover them with things. You don't put a, put a lamp on a table and then take your drapes in front of your blinds and pull them across it. You don't take the lamp and, and pull the recliner out and decide, hey, I think a good place for this lamp would be like underneath the footstand of the recliner. No. You put it on an open space in the room where it can most effectively give off its light so that people walk in, namely you, 
You can see where you're going. You're not tripping over things in the dark. It gives light to the room. It's in a location where its light is openly displayed as a help to those who need its aid. Peter had the light of Jesus placed within him and shining within him. And we've picked on Peter a little bit tonight. We've been kind of harsh on Peter. So let's see if he can redeem himself. We've seen him cover it. We've seen him try to smother it. There's one more specific instance where he put it on clear display out in the open. In Acts chapter 2, Pentecost takes place. And I'm just going to read kind of a, a myriad of mashed up scripture to jump over some things just to give you a picture of the story. In Acts chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 22. Peter is standing before these people and he's giving the message of the gospel. And he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his ascendants to his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then Peter goes on to lay it all out on the line in front of these people. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter follows Jesus after his arrest. Three times he denies having any association with him. Later, Peter's doing his best to share the gospel, to get it out to the Gentiles that God said it needed to go to. But he struggled when the crowd would change. He had a hard time letting his light shine before all men, unashamedly, without fear, doubt, and uncertainty. But at Pentecost, Peter boldly stood before a crowd, a crowd that contained the same religious leaders that put Jesus to death. And he looked those men in the face 
and told them this Jesus that you crucified is indeed the Son of God. And salvation can be found in no one other than him. In Acts 2, Peter put his light on display. He unashamedly and boldly set it out in front of everybody and said, I don't care if you do to me what you just did to Jesus. This is the message of hope that you need to know. This is the truth of the gospel. And whether you want to believe it or not, does not change the fact that it is the truth. Does not change the fact that it is the only way that our souls can be redeemed and restored and renewed. Peter said, I've set my light out on display. And you know what the result of that was? The result was the salvation of 3,000 souls just on that day. We don't know how many more came to Christ after that as a result of that moment. One opportunity, Peter said, I'm going to set my light where it needs to be in front of everybody to see. And God so profoundly used it that thousands came to salvation in him. A lamp that's filled with light, placed out in the open where it should be, has a profound impact on the darkness around it. It can't help but... So where's your light? Is it covered? Is it smothered? Or is it displayed? Man, I so badly want to see you guys continue to let your light shine for Jesus. Listen, we've seen God do some amazing things in our midst this semester. And all glory and all praise and all honor to him for doing those things. But he's using you guys to do it. He's using the light that he's placed within you to do it. Let it shine. I know it's a kid's song. Hold, hold your finger up. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I don't care what you have to do to remind yourself of that. Make a fool out of yourself walking through the middle of campus tomorrow holding your little light out. And somebody walks over to you like, what are you doing? Oh, this is my light. You're what? It looks like your finger. Nah, this is my light. I'm letting it shine. Can I tell you about it? Tell you about my light? Can I tell you about the hope? Can I tell you that, that there is no darkness that can overcome this light? Can I tell you that there is no despair? There is no hopelessness. There is no lostness. There is no perishing eternally in separation from God because there is a light and his name is Jesus. Let his light shine. Hey, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. I know. Hey, I get it. It's easy to kind of drift with the crowd. It's easy to suppress our light. But man, y'all be bold in your faith. I wish I was when I was your age. I wish I'd have taken more of those opportunities, but you have them right now. Put your light on display for Jesus. In location, location, location. It matters. It matters where you set it.